Welcome, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Keegan and Sean Eastanford. We still have a lot to talk about today, even if it's not the stuff we want to talk about. But let's get to it. Let's in- rip this Band-Aid off and introduce the guys so we can dive right in. He cried enough that he nearly drowned his two dogs and his lovely wife, Jacob Allen, is with us on the podcast. How are you, bud? This is exactly why I need a boat. He did donuts so aggressively in the parking lot of my apartment complex that his tires turned to ash. Sam Bleka is back with us. How are you, bud? I was just trying to fill that hole with some some donuts. I just unfortunately was going with the, the wrong kind this time. Next time I'll go for the red light of Krispy Kreme. Oh, and I am Sean in Shawnee, Kansas, and I handled the Chiefs' loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with all of the grace that you would come to expect from me. In other words, none at all. We do have a lot to talk about, and we will get to the game here uh, momentarily. But in the world, sometimes when things that aren't important really hurt you, some other things happen that kind of refocus things uh, because they are real life tragedies and they hurt and unfortunately for for chiefs kingdom and for chiefs fans everywhere we lost two pillars we lost two pillars of kansas city sports history the first of which was coach marty schottenheimer who passed away uh, on the 8th of february after a long battle with alzheimer's at the age of 77 while it's not unexpected because he was admitted to hospice care prior to the Super Bowl, he was. It is never easy to lose someone that you you grew up watching and and thinking of as a pillar of stability. Which really, as as a coach, is kind of what Marty Schottenheimer was. The other came as uh, much more of a surprise here recently still is is brutally sad and that is that we found out today that we lost Therese Paler who was one of the senior writers at Yahoo Sports a former Kansas City Chiefs beat writer for the Kansas City Star at the age of 37 unexpectedly today he is for my money was my favorite writer at the Kansas City Star at the time and has maintained has been my favorite sports writer uh, since uh, he came onto my radar as a fan. His podcast uh, for Yahoo Sports uh, with uh, Chris Mortensen is, is one of the things that you have to you have to listen to. It's, it's one of the best podcasts out there. And to think that he is no longer with us uh, as well after losing Coach Schottenheimer it, it just has compounded on itself and has kind of left us all a little stunned to lose both of those icons. So just back to back after kind of a, what was what, what we had hoped was going to be the toughest thing we endured this week, which was a loss in the Super Bowl. We wanted to start with this just because obviously this is the most important stuff and uh, we'll go around the horn here and get everybody's thoughts on this. Um, Sam, I'm going to come to you first here. We've lost Coach Tottenheim. We lost Coach Press Paler. Uh, I'm not going to ask for your reactions or anything like that. Just give you the floor and, and say what's on your mind, how you feel, what you what you want to say regarding uh, both of these men who are pillars in, in Kansas City sports. It's strange to react, obviously, to, to situations like this because gearing up for the podcast, we obviously 
we were reacting to a sporting event that can be very though it is it was an unfortunate outcome it's it's lighthearted because it's just football um and when you have to change almost the demeanor of the conversation to the loss of of life regardless of if it was somewhat expected or or kind of understood that it was coming to an end with coach Schottenheimer or completely out of the blue with with Perez uh it it really kind of changes the the outlook on the on the game side as you said and and what really is important I had been listening to the to just sports radio today to to 610 and they had a lot of former former players with of of coach Schottenheimer and and his time with Kansas City and I was kind of thinking about it. And, and honestly, what I, I always remember Schottenheimer more as the, the coach I always rooted against because I, I remember him vividly as a Chargers coach because he was a Chiefs coach through through the early early 90s or most of the 90s. And obviously me growing up, um, he was a coach up until I was about 10 years old. And that's hard to remember back that far, vivid memories of him. So, but with him, I mean, it's obviously a loss of, of the game. You you know the if, if you're any kind of a football fan or, or know anything about the sport, everyone knows Marty Ball, um, knows the ground and pound, what that did for the sport and how it shaped really a decade, two decades of what we understood as football, especially as Chiefs, because not only did we have his influence, we then got Herm Edwards and, and a lot of his coaching tree. So... I think Marty Schottenheimer is a, is a huge loss just for the football family, the football world, and the NFL. Um, it's, again, one of those where it's how it's really unfortunate that he will most likely be a, a post-mortem inductee to the Hall of Fame and, and how he's not was not recognized by the before the time of his passing as, as kind of a travesty in the fact that I think he's eighth in the all-time winning list with 200, over 200 wins. Um, everyone above him that is not still coaching is in the Hall of Fame, and it's really kind of it's it's discouraging that that a coach like him is not in the Hall of Fame already just because he hasn't didn't win a Super Bowl. Shifting away from him to Therese, I really haven't rationalized or kind of created a thought because honestly, I saw the or my mom had turned the news on him back with my parents right now, and that was the first thing I saw, and that was at like six o'clock this afternoon. And so it's still kind of fresh in my mind as far as not even, I mean, you lose a guy at 37 years old and it's just kind of, it's hard to put into words and, and really rationalize a, an obviously very talented writer and, and contributor to sports and things of that nature. But obviously thoughts go out to, to both, both families because that's obviously kind of a, Above and beyond sports, that's just a rough, rough thing in general. So obviously, our thoughts, my thoughts, go out to go out to the families and and hopefully can embrace the that that those families to to get past this point in reality. Jacob, I'll turn things over to you um, so we can get your thoughts about the passing of Coach Schottenheimer and Therese Paler. You guys both are handling and giving pitches on the emotions near perfect. First with Schottenheimer, you know. You're right, Sam. We were so young when Schottenheimer had his heyday that I think most of our Marty Schottenheimer memories are things we heard from other people. But I think our era of Chiefs 
fans needs to thank Marty Schottenheimer for what Arrowhead Stadium and the Chiefs fandom is in general because he's the one that rejuvenated the franchise. So that's where I would say with Marty, and it is super sad that he didn't get elected to the Hall of Fame, and which, like you said, Sam, without the Super Bowl, this year even proved more and more just that it was about the quarterback. The quarterback is more important than we maybe previously realized for winning that big game. And so a guy that has won that many games without a Super Bowl is just almost a it's got to make people reevaluate, I guess, is what I'm trying to say on these coaches that don't ever get their elite quarterback. I mean, is Phillip Rivers maybe the best guy that Marty ever had? I'd say that's probably your best argument. The Chiefs had Montana at one point, but it was the broken down Montana, and they came very close, very, very close, a concussion away. So as far as Marty goes, that's where I'm at. I think everyone should just be thankful for what Marty brought to and made Chiefs Kingdom into. And then as far as Therese Paylor, man, that one, it puts perspective on your own life for us who are, you know, seven years younger than him, just to say life is so precious. I found Therese at first on the Kansas City Star post-game breakdowns with him and a bunch of other the Kansas City Star guys and then he stood out above everybody else his voice was iconic his laugh had you cracking up all the time and then I continued to listen to the Kansas City Star podcast and you know Therese had moved on and I continued to listen I was like man why don't I enjoy this as much anymore and I realized it's because Therese was gone and I had, I started to seek him out in his new stuff. And that was my number one priority every single week for listening wise. I listened to Seren Petro almost every day, but Therese Paler was always number one priority. The second something of his came out. So it's going to be tough to know that there will be no new content from personally for me, the best in the game. He's not out there for clicks. He doesn't get loud because he's trying to get attention. He got loud because that's who he was. But like I said, that one that one's tough for me, and I'm with Sam on this. I'm just like, man, that's tough to put into somebody you've never met that has changed your life. How do you take that in? That that's what I think is tough about it. And then you know, to not miss on one thing is just also surrounding the Super Bowl, the perspective of the accident and the little girl who's still in critical condition. Last I checked. It just it makes you realize there's things bigger than football. Football is a great distraction, but of course there are better things to focus on. Yeah, I think I said his podcast was the Chris Mortensen. It's Charles Robinson uh, with Yahoo Sports. Mortensen's not even the same company. But to, to uh, be honest with you, Sean, you got me a little bit excited there for a moment because it's like, oh, he has one with Chris Mortensen too. I need to go find <laughs> that one. <laughs> Anything Therese did is worth a look or look or, worth a read or a listen. Um, his, I'll go in reverse order here. His impact, I think, is felt beyond just journalism. When you think of something like his all juice team, where the, he would pick certain guys that maybe weren't getting the, the attention, but or maybe didn't have the numbers at the combine, and he he just put them on his team. He's like, they've got juice. They've got something that makes them different. If you go back and look, I don't remember if they took one this year, but the Chiefs, from the time that that list started, almost every year took one of his guys off the All Juice team. They, they, Andy Reid would reference the All Juice team 
in his press conferences, even in their their notice today, the Kansas City Communications staff put one out and they talked about, they mentioned Trez being uh, in their farewell, a, a permanent part of their all juice team. His, he's somebody that if you've got kids and, and they have a, a dream, something that they're aspiring to, you tell them, go look at, go look at Therese. You know, for, I had to go back and look at it. Kansas City Star has a great article on it if you, on his, his time and the work that he's done if you're looking for it. But six years, he's covering high school football and then goes to Kansas City Brigade and then Arena League and then gets to cover the beat at Sporting Kansas City. Then he goes and covers, you know, Missouri Athletics, the University of Missouri, so Mizzou. And then he gets to come and be the Chiefs beat writer in 2013. And I would add, got to come and be the Chiefs beat writer after a fairly iconic person in Adam Teicher was the beat writer for the Chiefs. That's a big name to try and follow. If, if you follow the Kansas City Star, Teicher's kind of a, a prominent name is now the beat writer for ESPN of the Kansas City Chiefs. And Therese elevated it, elevated that position. He scooped guys like Adam Schefter and Ann Rappaport when it came to stories like the Alex Smith trade and Frank Clark being dealt to the Kansas City Chiefs. He was first on those stories. He's, like you said, Jacob, his, he's so much fun to listen to on his podcast. I mean, he's, he cultivated this energy that just was enjoyable to listen. And that is something that, I think journalism in general misses in, in that you have people who maybe are very good factually, but don't have that same energy. And then the guys who have that energy are, are not good journalists or they are, they are there to elicit emotion. See guys like Stephen A. Smith who are great energy, but don't have the research, the backing, the facts and everything that Therese did to be great, he did. I'm glad, moving to Marty, I'm glad you brought him the rejuvenation up, Jacob, because that's, that's what I think of when I think of Marty Schottenheimer as far as his time with the Chiefs is soul-crushing defense where the referees are asking fans at Arrowhead to be quiet or they're going to call a penalty that's that's something that doesn't happen in other stadiums. Marty helped cultivate that culture. And to your point on the quarterbacks, if the Chargers don't trade away Drew Brees and they hang on to him, how much different is Marty Schottenheimer's story? When you have instead of Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees, and Phillip Rivers is a very good quarterback, but we've we've all had that debate of whether or not he's the elite guy that can get you to a Super Bowl and to this point. And and through his career, he's shown that he wasn't that guy. But if he kept Drew Brees and had LaDainian Tomlinson and then had a great defense led by guys like Sean Merriman, what's what's the story then? Uh, I think that. Schottenheimer will probably never get the credit that he really deserves as time goes on because of what you say doesn't have a Super Bowl, but the impact he's had in the NFL, I think is as great as any coach that's out there right now. We got through the tough stuff. So let's get to the actual game and we can maybe put some levity on what was a tough loss in the Super Bowl, just because we can remember that it's just the game. But 
Moving to the game, the Chiefs did lose in the Super Bowl to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by a tough score of 31-9. to So it's not a pretty game for the Chiefs. There were many areas in which they struggled. Let's just go around the horn one more time uh, before we get into the specifics of it. We'll get guys' reactions. Jacob, I'll come to you first this go-around. What was your reaction to this game? How did you feel about it when it was all said and done outside of having your heart shattered? Anyone not named Patrick Mahomes had a bad game. That is my general summary, and that's where I'll start with before we really dive in. That's not a bad summary. Uh, Sam, what about you? What were your reactions uh, to the Chiefs lost in the Super Bowl to the Bucs? Uh, it, it really, Jacob kind of hit on the head that really no one except for Pat Patrick Mahomes looked like they came to play. Uh, somewhat reminded me kind of of the, the other major loss we had this year, the Raiders, obviously, where it just was dead. And it was one of the first games by halftime I knew it was over. That's the honestly one of the first times of the Patrick Mahomes era that I when when it hit halftime, I was like, well, I don't I don't think we're coming back from this one. So that was kind of a strange feeling for sure. But uh, I, we got there and we lost and we'll continue going from there, I guess. And and to give one quick apology, Clyde Edward Tiller, I would say did not have a bad game. So Clyde, I'm sorry you just didn't get to play and not even get enough touches. And and got to give the, the 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 kicker credit, man. I mean, Bucker scored all our points so correct yes sorry sorry harrison butker i've been hard on you all year and we all after that game we all know it wasn't harrison butker anyway yeah right yeah i i think i'm with you guys it was kind of a a state of shock early on you know they get the field goal early and i'm like all right well they'll come back at six and then just to see the struggle early you kind of had this sinking feeling that just started to creep in uh, to the back of your mind that back of my mind anyway, that this felt different. It definitely felt different. And maybe it had just all caught up uh, to the boys in red and gold. There are obviously a lot of reasons that elicited that feeling. So let's not delay, let's dive right in. Obviously there are going to be a lot of people, a lot of fans who are heartbroken and hurt that want to fire every official that was on the field for that game wearing black and white. I get it, guys. Totally understand. And I've already had other friends uh, reach out to me and say, you know, what's the deal with the officials? I'm here to tell you it's a loser's mentality. Sam and I talked about it on the day of the Super Bowl. I know because I had that mentality for at least a decade as a Chiefs fan, where you think, oh, if the officials just hadn't thrown the flag here, we get the W. It's not to say it didn't contribute. But if you're coming here to listen to us harp on officials as the only reason and the biggest reason the Chiefs lost that game, you're going to be disappointed. It's not to say we won't talk about it, but just so you know, that's not the biggest reason they lost that game. So that being said, let's go around the horn and talk about why the Chiefs lost that game. Uh, Sean, I'm starting. Thank you for throwing it to me. (laughs) I will absolutely use a loser's mentality, as you call it. Now, I'm with you. It is a loser's mentality to blame the referees for any game because there's so many different things that influence a game. And like I say to other people, you know, there's so many things that influence a game that it almost reverse engineers itself and to be like, okay, but what was the biggest one of the many things that influenced the game? Let's get you down to one topic again. Was it the referees 
No. Let me answer that for you right off the bat. It was not the referees. It was probably the Chiefs offensive line. There's number one. But I will make a case with you that the referees had way more influence on this game than they should have. And I'll start with this. The referees did not cause the Chiefs to lose, but they did cause it to not be a competitive game in any sense. The Chiefs had their opportunity to keep it pretty tight if we didn't have the calls that they made. We could have gone into halftime 14-9 if the pass interference didn't get called on Mike Evans. We could have gone into halftime at nine to seven if the interception doesn't get taken back and somebody correct me on that but i believe it was yeah it was 14 nine or 21 nine going into half yeah so it could have been 14 nine it could have gone down to seven to nine without the interception getting taken away from them so i would say there was more influence than i'm used to from the referees what i'm saying is Get your Vince out. I will hear any argument about the refereeing being a bigger factor than usual in the game. But overall, don't forget, the Chiefs also got flat out outplayed and Patrick Mahomes can't overcome everything. I think we'll come back to that part because I think that might be one of the biggest things we realized out of this game um, is that Patrick Mahomes can't overcome everything. Sam, what about you? What were... What stood out to you uh, as the biggest reasons, and there can be multiple, uh, that the Chiefs lost this game? Jacob is completely correct about the refereeing. It's the kind of – the situation, obviously, like you and I talked about, Sean, during the game is is we've we've been the the team that if they don't call this game or if they don't call this particular play, we we win that game. I don't care if, if they don't call any of the penalties, we still lose this game unfortunately and and it was a weird situation where this was as I had talked about I think two weeks prior Andy Reid has always been known for creating ingenious play design and and coming into a game looking like he is better prepared than everyone and he did not look like it this week Um, now whether that go to the offensive line just not being adequate for him to, to drop a, a playbook that, that works well. But that doesn't really excuse the, the drop balls and the, the, the misplays that, that we continually saw this in this game that we just don't see or we, we have not become accustomed to seeing as Chiefs fans recently. So it was a very strange game. Honestly, it was the, the I came out of it just saying that hey, the Bucks were ready and we weren't. They came, they came ready to play. They came with a good good way of beating the Chiefs, and we had no response to to what they had. So that, that's kind of what I came came away from this week with. I want to jump on Sam's Andy Reid thing real quick, too, because I'm right there with you, Sam. It's almost like Andy Reid's genius to make plays hurt him because he came out and said, you know what, I don't care if you're in three cover deep and two cover deeps I'm still going to try to throw the ball deep I was shocked that they didn't adjust because that's what they've done well all year was when teams came out and said hey we're going to drop a bunch of guys the Chiefs just killed them underneath with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and then shorter routes but this week it just seemed continuously like nope these plays I drew up are going to work and just made no sense and it was almost like Andy Reid watched the Buccaneers and Packers NFC championship game and said that right there that's my game plan 
Aaron Rodgers dropping back and not throwing underneath or screening or just sweeping or motion that that didn't work. And that's what I'm going to do. They won't expect it a second time. <laughs> yeah. And, and Sean and I even, even mentioned, I think it was, it was in the fourth quarter at some period. We, we saw about one series of, of just that, of the, of the underneath runs by Travis Kelsey and the, and the short crossing patterns that just ran straight down the field. And we both were like, where's this been all game? And then they went right back to Patrick dropping 15 feet or 15 yards, trying to deep throw balls deep. So coaching was, was definitely a, a, a weak point this, this week, which is a, an unusual thing for us to see as chiefs fans over the past couple of years. Um, and honestly, I can't even blame coach Bagnola for much because I thought he had a, for what he was dealing with, he had a pretty good defensive setup. He just, I think they just got outplayed even on the defensive side. Eventually they offense couldn't stay on the field and um, defense just got wore out and got outplayed eventually. Yeah. I think to me, that's, that's the part that I think undid the defense. Cause I thought the defense played pretty well early on. It just looked like they ran out of gas late. And I will say, yes, the officials definitely had more of an impact on the game that I'm used to seeing. I think that's a fair way of, of phrasing it, Jacob. So I'll give you credit for that. I, I don't think the argument that they lost the game that I've heard from, from some fans is, is valid. For me, the problem was the biggest problem that stood, that was stood out to me because it was hard to miss was the offensive line. Patrick Mahomes was being rushed on more than half the dropbacks that he took in that game. And that's just too many. And especially when you're talking about a quarterback who's got a compromised foot, as we found out after the game, he is going to need surgery on that toe for the turf toe that he had had a couple games back. That's that was, I think, obvious. He still has a little bit of that Travis Kelsey wiggle to him where he doesn't necessarily need to outrun you to elude you. But you could tell his mobility was compromised, even on the runs that he was able to get outside and get a first down. He didn't look the same. And I think the only reason he was able to get those gains was to your guys' point about the Tampa Bay defense. They were playing a lot of at least two deep safeties, if not three. The offensive line at a certain point, you know, initially I was like, well, they're blitzing a lot. So once we figured that out, eventually we will switch to that underneath passing game. And then what happened was the Buccaneers realized they don't need to run splits anymore. They're just going to rush four and drop everybody else. And we still didn't adjust. I think that's where the coaching aspect comes into it is not necessarily the initial game plan. I, I get that your game is to throw the ball downfield when you have guys like Tyreek Hill and McCole Hardman. I get that. That makes sense to me. But the inability to switch it up, knowing that your offensive line is compromised, you're dealing with four backups, second stringers at best. And I'll make you an argument that most of those guys, they are third stringers just because the guys who are typically second string at guard are now playing tackle. You're playing with a wildly compromised line. The only starter was Austin Ryder. And we've discussed long and hard on here, whether or not he should be. So for me, the offensive line was the most glaring and obvious thing. I think the inability to make adjustments is what hurt them down the road. Did the penalties affect the game? Absolutely. Absolutely. They affected it. Did, but I think the biggest reasons they lost was they could not protect Patrick Mahomes and he's having to do inhuman things just to get a pass off. As much as we we bag on on the offensive line, I think we also have to throw a little a little shade at the defensive line, considering the fact that Tom Brady was only pressured five times in that game. 
So as much as much hate as we we always we have thrown at the offensive line, they are all backups, and we have two of the highest paid defensive linemen in the game, and we were able to pressure Tom Brady five times. That's another big issue that I think led to their offensive success and why Spagnola's defense didn't have as much effect for me as what we typically see is that there was just he just stood back there and did what he wanted and their offense could just do whatever it wanted because because Chris Jones and Frank Clark specifically didn't didn't come to play in my opinion and in, in what it looked like I'll cut it just real quick because I do want to share some more sentiments what you guys were talking about uh first off with the offensive line yeah we we should have made better predictions with how much we trash the offensive line for what is an entire existence of a podcast. So we should have maybe had more foresight into that. I think we had just seen Patrick Mahomes work his magic with it so much that we're like, ah, it'll be fine. And we had mentioned too, just, you know, maybe Wiley can play like he did against the Saints, but clearly that didn't happen. And they gave him a lot more help, but this week it just didn't seem like they could give him help. And yeah, just absolute garbage. And I think we'll have more offensive line discussion when we kind of look do a short off season outlook, but, right with you guys on the defensive line it's like I think it was maybe five pressures by the defensive line which is insane you could kind of understand it from the second half standpoint where Brady realized he didn't have to drop back and throw deep anymore and he could get the ball out quickly especially when no one's covering the middle of the field but I'm with you it's just like you can't pay two guys that much and then not get any production from it I do think the Buccaneers defensive line, how they made that defensive lineup is a good one to look at for future construction of the Chiefs is, hey, maybe don't put all your apples in one bucket and split it up between a couple of different guys. That way, if one of them goes down, you don't feel like, oh, great. Now, what are we going to do? I mean, just imagine if Chris Jones went down, you'd be like, well, who's going to rush the passer at this point? Because we all know that Frank Clark is who knows. Well, we'll have long offseason discussions, I'm sure. But yeah, then lastly, I loved your talk about the defensive scheme, Sean, about how the defensive plan was really good for what the Chiefs thought that game was going to be. When the Chiefs thought that Brady was going to hang with them, blitzing them and getting in Brady's face and making him make not get to launch down the field worked well. But as soon as they got, you know, a two, two, one and a half score lead, they were able the Buccaneers were able to change their offensive plan and then just start killing the Chiefs over the middle where Brady just lives and eats teams alive at and to the running backs out of the backfield so it almost was counter to once the game turned around because you could tell they expected a certain game which they had at first but it didn't work out a couple things on on both of your guys points firstly along the defensive line I would contend that the sack that they got that Frank Clark got in this game was completely based off of scheme. I didn't even notice it at first when we were watching, but then Sam, I mean, you said, Oh, what a great stunt. What a great stunt. And, and that was the sack was that Frank Clark allowed Chris Jones to take up two blockers looped around to the inside and, and made the sack on Brady. And to his credit, yes, he allowed the play to develop, but that's a great scheme design by Spagnola. And we hadn't really seen a whole lot of that from him throughout the year. Second, I think part of what ended up killing the defense other than being on the field most of the game is Tom, the difference between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes having to play catch up is that Tom Brady was completely willing to take what was given to him. Tom Brady's stats 
are not that impressive. He's 21 of 29 for 201 yards. Did have a three touchdowns, and that's and that's impressive. That's the impressive part. But the rest of it is very, you know, mediocre at best. He knew what was available. You know, I talked about in, you know, what was our be- best matchup when we talked about that, that I really wanted to see Legarius Sneed against Chris Godwin because Godwin was the receiver that really beat him up last time that was not a tight end. Obviously, Gronkowski had a good statistical game, but I thought that if you can take away the second wide receiver and you make Gronk beat you at this point in his career, you have a good chance at winning that game. Chiefs did that. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin had three combined receptions in the game, but then here came Rob Gronkowski rising from the grave, and they just threw eight to 12-yard passes to him throughout the game, and it killed the Chiefs. And if you're not going to rush the passer as a defense, you do have to stop the run. You can't give up 145 combined yards to two different running backs. So overall, it just seemed like the Chiefs got stuck in in no man's land and weren't able to assert themselves in in either side of it. You know, if you're going to give up one, fine, but at least find a way to stop the opposing offense in one of those two lanes, and they couldn't do that part. So I think that's probably another big, a big key contributor when you're talking about the differences is that the Bucks did a great job of taking what was given to them and the Chiefs did not. Is there anything that we can glean from this game that the Chiefs can build upon going into next year in an attempt to get back to the Super Bowl for a third time? The easy answer might be get more talent, but what were the things that stood out to you and go, okay, we can take that into next year as a positive or these are the things I see as trends that the Chiefs do that we need to fix in order to to return to the championship status and get another Super Bowl trophy. Jacob, I'll come back to you here on this one. What what were you able to learn from this game that maybe the Chiefs can take into next year and build upon? One thing I did like, and I, you know, one guy I thought that was doing pretty well and somebody maybe they should move forward with and keep on their team is um, Patrick Mahomes. I, I thought that guy played pretty well and I think that's just something they should keep going forward so hopefully they can work something out with the guy but uh, sorry Sean for throwing that one back in your face I'm just trying to help your journalism Sean anyway better job of setting it up I should I I had it in front of me other than Patrick Mahomes what did we learn from this game and I didn't do it and I didn't do it so I earned that one well I like where you just came from with Gronk being a problem I had mentioned because we talked about him about how he could still be a problem because his last good game was against the Chiefs there's clearly a defensive deficiency towards big athletic receivers just I think it's the big is the bigger problem because the Mike Evans of the world don't seem to wreck them and so I think you can almost say tight ends I guess is the word I'm trying to use good receiving tight ends clearly wreck them. And so I think that is one of the biggest things the defense needs to figure out in the off season based on just how the chiefs games will play out because that is what will wreck them. I'm not as worried about the run. I didn't think the run was the thing that was slaughtering them the entire time because 
I we almost had as many penalty yards as running yards, and I think that was more killer to setting up a lot of what the Buccaneers were doing, as far as the you know holding the guys and being physical with their receivers, and then she's having to say, okay, I got to make sure I'm not too physical, and then next thing you know, big pass, and then again scheme because it's never one thing, but it was mostly the rest. Just FYI, you wonder could Willie Gay fill that role? Hopefully, I mean, if the guy's healthy, I don't. Again, I don't think he would have changed this outlook of the game but I think defensively that's the first place you look and then offensively I know I'm focused on the negative and I guess you asked for the positive going forward gosh dang it Sean why do you ask these questions that I never answer the right way I think one thing you do need to take from the game offensively positively that the Chiefs did all year was take what's given to you and keep it up you spent a first round pick on Clyde Edwards Hilaire to be able to be multifaceted as an offense that's, I guess, where I'd say take forward what you had done. So, again, not answering your question because you asked, what can you take from the Super Bowl? And I answered, what can you take from the season? So, Sean, I'm going to pass it over to Sam. That way I can prepare for your next question that I won't answer at all. Sam, what about you? What, what can the Chiefs learn from this game? What can they glean from it that they can take forward? Positive or negative, Jacob? It didn't have, it didn't have to be positive. Just learn something. Uh, Sam, just to clarify, I think when Sean says game, he means the Super Bowl. Sorry, I had a tough time with that. I didn't know. I don't know if they're like still charging you for saying Super Bowl. I know there was a stretch where you had to like buy the words. And so any ad that was played just got to say the big game. So, you know, I'm just playing it safe. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry. Hey, uh, any of our uh, six listeners, please don't report us. Uh, don't worry, Sean. We'll, we'll definitely be able to pay off those fines when uh, Fox, um, NBC, Alex Smith, Derek Henry, I'll send us our checks for, for the appreciation that we get on this podcast. As far as for, for the Super Bowl, honestly, and, and it's sad to say, the biggest positive we can take away is it is going to be really hard to have a worse offensive line next year. It is going to be a challenge for them to be any worse than what we saw. And what that tells me is, is, when you do have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, where again, on our podcast, we are not a ball washing podcast of Patrick Mahomes, but when you see a guy horizontal to the ground, throwing the ball 40 yards and it bouncing off the player's hands, you have a little hope because you're like, man, we, that guy is good. As Jacob said, I think he's worth a, I think, I think he's worth a, maybe a, a year or two extension. If, if we can somehow work that out in the salary cap, I don't know, but he, it just, he had nothing around him and he still did everything to, to drive that game forward. You, you definitely have a positive there and that, that you've got a quarterback that can win you games, even in the worst circumstances, which he was dealing with, just wasn't able to overcome it this time. Unfortunately, the next thing, I mean, again, looking at it as, as we start the podcast, realizing that there are bigger things um, in this world than a football game, but when we're thinking about Chiefs football, I'll throw it back to, to something Jacob had said earlier when he, after he successfully defeated you in fantasy football, Sean, that he had always been the, the, the bridesmaid, not the bride. As Chiefs football fans, we weren't even invited to the wedding for a long time. And the fact that for the past two years, last year we got to be the bride, this year we had to settle with the bridesmaid. It's, it's a pretty good feeling still. You got to remember that we, there was a long time we weren't even invited to the wedding. We just had to wait for the, 
the pictures that come up on Facebook and, and click like every now and then just to show appreciation. But Sam, I, um, uh, Sam, I have a quick clarifying question for you real quick. If it's a sports analogy relation, if you get invited to the bachelor party, but not the wedding, whose football season is that? The Browns. Not that that's ever happened to me. Not that that's happened to me. <laughs> At first I was offended. Then I was actually thankful that I had one less obligation. I think that's like wild card. That's, that's your, 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 just good enough but you're still going to get a relatively decent draft pick like not not high class but like you're you, you're still you still get that mid mid-tier draft pick but you still had some success in the season i would say so you, you so got a little bit of, you got a little bit of the fun but it, you didn't have to go through the entire thing exactly exactly okay you wore um, a suit but you brought a keg that's what we're getting yeah. <laughs> but so I, I mean for me that's the biggest thing is is we still made it to the Super Bowl, showing that we are still one of the best teams in the NFL. And I think the the young draft class or the young talent we have on the team with all the guys we've touted, Sneed, Gay, Mike Dana, all these guys that have showed potential this year as being a young backbone to this team, allow us to, to look forward and, and know that it, it, it's really only up from here at this point. You You can't take what happened in one game as, as, oh my gosh, it's the end. As you were talking about earlier, you guys were talking about earlier is what all the national media love to do is that this is the end of Patrick Mahomes. This is, he lost one game and you can't even be a fan of him anymore. I'm happy to know that we made it to the Super Bowl two years in a row and, and we can continue to go from there. So. Right. Exactly. Sam, the chiefs just did in three years, what they did in 50 years of existence keep perspective people now i do want to be optimistic one more time and i think i've actually come up with an answer to sean's question wait is this why sean goes to me second because he knows i won't answer his question if he comes to me first i just now put this all together i'm not going to confirm or deny that that is correct or not okay i appreciate that thanks sean so after i had some time to think and think about actually answering sean's question one thing optimistically that i'm hoping happens is that Hopefully this is an eye-opening, just like the 2018 AFC Championship game was for the Chiefs and personnel decisions. About after 2018, it became very apparent that Bob Sutton was not going to work. If D4 does not line up offsides, we might still have Bob Sutton, and we might not be in back-to-back Super Bowls. Who knows? This might have been the year he got fired, for all we know, because we would have said, oh, he got us to the Super Bowl last year, and then we would have ridden the season with him. Hopefully what I'm saying is that the Chiefs realize that rolling with backup offensive linemen is not going to get the job done anymore. Hopefully their eyes are open to that because that was their strategy last year going into it was, hey, Andrew Wiley and Austin Ryder played pretty well in filling roles. Let's let them start for a full year. And then it's not fully fair to say that because they they did know coming into this year that there was a need on offensive line the problem was just the amount of guys that opted out so one other thing i want to glean is hopefully there's no coronavirus going into the next year or whatever new pandemic there might be that we don't have guys opt out we can get two injuries right off the bat essentially to start the season year-long injuries to start the season i guess what i'm trying to say hey jacob in that comparison where bob sutton is the offensive line is ben neiman ron parker yes yes (laughs) Ben I mean, you can blame everything on Ben Demon at all times. Just, just to be clear, 
the fact that he played in the Super Bowl still kind of blows my mind. But hey, again, Ben Neiman is going to have the best man cave out of all his friends and a cool jersey of his own hung up when he can say, "Look, that's the two times I played in the Super Bowl." I think for me, the things that I learned: uh, one, Ben Neiman shouldn't play in the Super Bowl; two, the Chiefs can overcome an awful lot. When you look at this season, you alluded to it, Jacob. They had two guys that you expected to be contributors on the offensive line opt out with Lucas Niang and Laurent Dubernay Tartan. You also had Damian Williams opt out at running back, who was supposed to be one of your rotational guys. Um, now, you know, you have Clyde Edwards Alaire and Daryl Williams ended up, you know, turning out to be a pretty solid back. So that one you took a little bit of the sting out of, but you still lost a key contributor. Your offensive line continued to get hurt throughout the year. And you had to reshuffle guys who were second string to then third string. You know, your second string guard becomes your third string right tackle. That guy then moves to left tackle. So your third string guard can move to right tackle. Like there, there are so many things you had to overcome just personnel wise. You never would have had to, had to in any other year. And then just the day to day of dealing with COVID-19 and all the restrictions and requirements that came with that, not getting a real off season having to to be you know strict in your your movements who you saw when you saw them and and the chiefs we've talked about it on here i we thought have done a better job than the vast majority of teams in the nfl at making sure that their players were were you know sticking to by the book keeping to the rules really just the last covid scare they had was because they had scheduled haircuts and their barber t- turns out he was positive. It wasn't like they were out partying and going crazy and being around a lot of people. Just by chance, they came in close contact, quarantined immediately, and everybody was fine. There were so many re- things that they could have that they had to overcome. And the lat, and I think the last thing that I learned is that just at a certain point, you can't overcome everything. You know, when you finally you talk about the offensive line, the the play calling. Well, we will never probably truly know the the emotional effect of Britt Reed's accident and that he had with the family and the two girls who were hurt in that accident. There's a lot, there were a lot of real life things that they had to, to keep in perspective while trying to play a child's game. I, th- I think at a certain point, you know, you can overcome an awful lot. That's the second thing that I learned. But the third thing is that at a certain point, you still need things to come together for you. And unfortunately, they just have, had to learn that in, in the Super Bowl. So hopefully they, this will be the learning experience and they can make more contingency plans and say, okay, so these scenarios that we never thought were possible, what do we do in the event that these things happen? Um, and we'll see how they, how they do going forward from there. One of the things they can do to prepare for those contingencies is review their team and see who needs to go and who needs to stay. We will obviously be getting into that as the year goes on um, because there will obviously be a lot of fun off-season talk to come. Draft, free agency, combine. Off-season is one of my favorite times of year. So we thought we'd start with just a very general overview. We're not going to talk about specifics are not going to players or, or you know where where do you want them to trade out of in the draft trade up trade down none of that we're just going to look at biggest offseason needs you know position groups generalities and 
we'll obviously get into specifics down the road. But we'll start here. Jay, uh, excuse me, Sam, I'll come to you first here. We've, we've talked a lot. Uh, about- solid move. Solid move to go to Sam first. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I try. I get it right once in a while. Um, but Sam, I think we probably all know one of the answers that you'll give. But what after this game and this season do you look at as the Chiefs' biggest offseason needs that they need to address? So I'm, I'm actually going to swerve the low-hanging fruit of this conversation because I think it's the easiest one of, yes, we need offensive linemen. That's, it's, we've said it all year round. For me, the, the point that we need to address the most is something that I, I did see in this Super Bowl, which is our third and fourth option on offense. Because when they took Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey away, we didn't have a whole lot it was very evident that McCole Hardman is not the answer. Sammy Watkins. I love the guy. I've loved the guy since he got here, but if he can't stay healthy, not the option. I like Byron Pringle. I don't think he's the option. So whether that be able to address it with like what the Raiders did this year and, and go out and get a guy like Nelson Aguilar, who you sign on a veteran minimum, let him play out a year, even if it's a if it's mercenary contracts where you're bringing in these one year guys that can that can fill that hole of the third and fourth. We don't need the stars. We've got the two stars. We need the you fill a role and you fill the role well because I think that was a blaring problem in this Super Bowl where when they took away Patrick's one and two, there wasn't a whole lot else there. Um, I think for offense, that's my biggest one. For defense. Again, the the low-hanging fruit, obviously, is linebacker. I think we need to address our cornerback situation, whether or not Burchard Breland will resign with the team. Obviously, he's going into free agency. Um, I think Snead, obviously, as as you said, next year, you've got your money down as him being an all-pro, which I would love for him to to come into that. But I think think the the coverage ability of our secondary is very important to, to the way that Spagnuolo's defense runs. So being able to fill the need of, of depending on what happens with Rashard Breland, that third cornerback that we saw where Ward was filling the hole, because I don't think Ward is, I think Ward is a good player. I would just like a better one there, in my opinion. So my, my two biggest ones are the, the outside options of uh, Travis Kelsey and, and Tyree Kill, and then cornerback for me is, is a big, big position outside of the obvious low-hanging fruit. Jacob, what about you? When you examine this team, just from a bird's eye view, where do you think the Chiefs most need to address uh, their roster? Let me steal the low-hanging fruit, Sam. Thanks. Got it. (laughs) I appreciate you guys. You're really making me look good this week. Anyway, yeah, I mean, the clear obvious one is you've got to look offensive line. Here's why. Number one. I don't, I, and I've said it for a couple weeks now, I still do not think Mitch Schwartz is coming back. I think he's retiring. I don't think he's coming back. If he comes back, it's it's like I said before, it's going to be Priest Holmes coming back where he gives it a shot and it doesn't work anymore. Eric Fisher just had an Achilles injury. We know as Chiefs fans, again, that that can take almost a full year to be the player they were, and they still not, might not be the guy that they were, which is sad. So that's why previously I wouldn't have said it's number one name, but now you've got to look offensive tackle. I feel a little bit more comfortable with the window that the Chiefs are in in restructuring their current tackles. So Mitch Schwartz has one year. If he retires, I'm, I don't know the roster bonus type deal on his. I don't know how much money they save if he retires versus if he 
you know, as far as those things go, I just know that's where they can save some money and potentially go get a free agent tackle because I don't think you want to develop a rookie tackle and also rely on kneeing to fill your other tackle spot. I think you need at least one of those tackle spots to be a veteran. And I'll swerve away from what Sam was talking about on the defense and say, I think pass rusher has to be one of their top needs in the draft because you are getting to a point where you're going to have to start thinking about, Hey, Chris Jones and Frank Clark are both really expensive and we need to move on particularly from Frank Clark. They can't get rid of him this next year. It, it doesn't save you any money to get rid of him. But in the following two years, you can save some money. And again, they showed that they could not rush the passer. And when you have Patrick Mahomes on the other side, the other team is going to be throwing the ball a lot, a lot to try to keep up. And what do you do to neutralize that? You have good pass rushers and good secondary, which Sam mentioned. That's where I'm at. And I also do, so that's why I love Sam's secondary call. I do think you you need to get some depth in the secondary, whether that's through free agency or rookies. Rookies are one of the easier ones to have as cornerbacks just because it does seem to be one of the easier positions for rookies to play. The other would be running back, but regardless. Anyway, back to the number two receiver. I'm right with you. What I wonder, and I'm about to do one of my classic throw a question on you guys here in a moment, so prepare yourselves for a question and try to answer it, not the ways I do, is that Yes, McCole Hardman has not made any progress whatsoever. Sammy Watkins is not coming back because I don't think he's going to take an NFL veterans minimum deal. And I'm not sure I even want him back because of how much he reps wise he takes away from the guys that you might develop a younger guy. I'm with you on Pringle. I think Pringle is a fourth receiver. I don't think he's, his ceiling's much higher than that. He doesn't run routes that are so crisp that he can get himself open. He's just a nice NFL wide receiver. Fourth, third, fourth. I think the third is his ceiling, and I think that's even being optimistic. But I'm with you on the number two receiver, whether that's a tight end or that's a, another wide receiver. I love the idea of going in Nelson Aguilar or just somebody cheap, and this is a good year for wide receivers and free agency. I think for me, taking a general bird's eye view, the middle of your defense needs to be looked at, specifically because of what we talked about with the tight ends issue. I think cornerback looked really good this year. Now, again, I, I agree that they, it needs to be addressed because I don't know who's coming back. You might not have Ward or Breland back. And and you're left with a terrific option for hopefully your number one corner in Legereus Sneed, but you, you need another guy, at least one. I think Rashad can be your, your slot, but you need a number two corner. I think the middle of that defense, when it comes to covering tight ends, is a huge problem. I think another problem with the middle of that defense is when Chris Jones is not on the field, the middle of that defense is non-existent. I think that Tershawn Wharton is a nice role player, but when they don't have to focus on Chris Jones, Wharton isn't, he's not the same guy, obviously. He is a, he is a solid rotational guy. And I hope that he continues to develop because he's shown some flashes where it's like, wow, he, he's, he really made a nice play there. Same thing with Mike Dana. You know, when Taco Charlton was healthy, kind of a similar deal, although he was a defensive end. But you're not going to get a rush up the middle from Derek Naughty, from Mike Pinnell, Colin Saunders, who was inactive most of the second half of the year anyway. I think they need to be looking at the middle of their defense because what will take away the tight end in addition to just good coverage in the middle of your defense, hopefully with a really good pass coverage linebacker 
somebody like a Devin White, good Lord, he is a talented player, and I would love to have one of those guys on our team. If you take away a quarterback's vision in the middle of the field, if you get into his face, push him off of their spot, see what the Buccaneers did to Patrick Mahomes, it makes it a whole lot more difficult to find your tight end. And I, I think that the numbers that Travis Kelsey put up in this game are wildly deceiving into how effective they were at getting him the football. I think you can attribute a lot of that to just how many times they threw it. So I think the middle of the defense is a huge issue if we're not going to just take the low-hanging fruit of, please, for the love of God, put five competent offensive linemen in front of Patrick Mahomes so that he is not running for his life all the time. That's that's my number one thing is is the middle of that defense. And so now, now Sean, that you have shared yours, my question is about the guy that we love to hate on to both of you all is do you think the Chiefs could trade McCole Hardman and what do you think they could get back? I think if you were talking about, and this is the problem with making these assertions or, or predictions or just you know speculations after maybe their, their highest value year, which is either right after a really big season when no one wants to trade them or before you really know what they are. I think this year you saw that even statistically, McCole Hartman is basically the same guy that he was his rookie year. And I would argue he was far more frustrating in the return game than he was his rookie year with dropped punts, take, trying to take balls in, you know, inside the making fair catches inside the 10 inside the five or trying to take a ball out that he shouldn't and getting lit up or running to the sideline trying to turn the edge not realizing that everyone on the field is an nfl talent and is also fast yes you have explosive speed and you're a tremendous athlete but his decision making is just not there is he a nice gadget player yeah but so was dexter mccluster another gadget player, you know, Tyreek Hill before he turned into Tyreek Hill, you know, Tyreek Hill obviously is the top end of that. And you can make the argument that Tyreek Hill is almost more of just a pure football player than he is a receiver, just with how many different spots they play him. I think McCole Hardman at best is that. I think if you're going to try and trade him, you better be ready to take like a fourth or a fifth round pick at best. Because I don't know if you're going to get uh, a third you know like a third or a second for him at all I think you'd be surprised what people would give up for a guy like McCole Herbman because of what he has done in the Chiefs offense because again we, we talk about the league being a copycat league and and like we talked about last week I think draft capital is is potentially becoming not necessarily cheaper but people are willing to give up draft capital for something that is slightly known. And people know McCall Hardman is a very fast player. And a lot of people are looking for those fast players. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would definitely trade him if, if there is an option, even for a fourth round at this point, to be completely frank with you, because what he offers, we've actually signed two guys to future contact or, or reserved slash future contracts that were on the, uh, practice wad at the end of the year one being Tajay Sharp who played for the Titans that I actually really liked when he was with the Titans um, and the other is Antonio Callaway who was with the Browns and then with the um, with the Dolphins who's a, a pretty similar player to that real fast gadget type player so we've already got I mean if we can get if we're just looking for a gadget player you can get one I think for a lot cheaper than what 
McCole Hardman's going to be. So I'd be perfectly fine trading him. I think it it, it could be something we I, I would be happy to see it happen because what again I saw of, of him this year is he's not developing into I think what they wanted. And again, it just it it hurts just that little bit more when you know that three picks later DK Metcalf was taken. <laughs> and it's just like, oh God, what could we have? But he's just not the option. He's not what we need as far as our offense running around the fast wide receivers where that that's fun. We need that more reliable receiver, which we just haven't been able to fill that gap. So uh, I'd be perfectly happy seeing him go. I think honestly, I wouldn't, I, I could see a team dealing out a third for him to be completely honest. I don't think you're going to get back from what you drafted him as, but um, just because of his speed and and what we what people have seen the the burst plays that people have seen out of him, I think you could easily see a third or a fourth return from him. Which at this point I'm I'm relatively happy for. It's kind of a waste of a pick, but if you can get a little draft capital back out of him, I'd I'd be I'd be overjoyed honestly. On which is kind of sad to say from a I have a pick, and that's why I ask because this is tough. But I I think we've almost seen the ceiling on the guy to talk about his value think about a guy like so Dexter McCluster isn't fully fair because Dexter McCluster I think had four touchdowns in his entire career and I think if you are a Chiefs fan you can think of four touchdowns from McCole Hardman over the last two years pretty easily one guy I would like to compare him to is Brandon Cooks who you know ended up getting traded around a lot because he was very fast now Brandon Cooks I think numbers were a little bit better but I think they are very similar players where they got to teams and teams realized, oh, you know what? We can't do all that much more with them. And I will gladly have this thrown in my face since I didn't go back and look at Brandon Cook's stats and just have thought about it at the time. That's what I wonder is like, could you get a Brandon Cook's type deal for him? Or another one that kind of gets me intrigued would be in the first round, if the Chiefs deemed there was somebody 10 to 15 picks higher that they wanted, I wonder if they could package their own first round pick in McCall Hardman to jump 10 ish picks. Now it would just depend on who the guy is and what value is in between just because of how drafts fall as we know and how crazy people get about quarterbacks. Let's say some quarterback they thought was going to another team thought their quarterback that they wanted was going to fall, say the guy from North Dakota state or so. And that team's like, oh yeah, we still think we can get the guy we actually want there. So who knows? But that's that's just kind of where my mind's wandering as far as McCole Hardman. And just because I'm not sure he's somebody they're ever gonna resign when he gets the chance for his second contract. He's a he's a second round player, so he'll only get the four years. But I wonder, you know, just I'm not sure it's a guy they're gonna give the contract to when his only job, and this again is speaking in extremes is something that Tyree Kill already does is which takes the top off the defense. Yeah. And I think, I think if you really just not a whole lot to add to the conversation, I think you're, you're pretty accurate, Jacob, as far as what we could see. And and I think what we're seeing the NFL move to is, is players being used to bolster trades basically to, to move up in the draft or move, move players around to get better draft picks, things like that. So if it means we get rid of him to go up two spots to get a better offensive lineman, I'm all for it. I am all for moving a couple spots to get a better player. And if it means McCall Harbin's not on the team, 
Okay. Sorry. If, if, if it improves our team, I'm happy. I will, I will bounce back at you a little bit with the Brandon cooks. I think Brandon cooks is a much better player than McCole Herbman as far as, as a wide receiver, but I will throw back at you Cordell Patterson, because I think that's about the best as far as a player that came into the NFL, that is very fast and never developed into a wide receiver and has bounced around the league as a returner. That's Cordell Patterson is, is pretty head on go back a little ways. You can look at the Devin Hester's of the world, but he was more of a cornerback at some point than a wide receiver, but he was kind Brandon, of, I would love to have Brandon cooks on the team. Cause that would be a, at least a semi-reliable wide receiver. In my opinion. Well, so would I, and that's why I need to actually look at the stats without just throwing names out there and saying that's who McCall Hardman is. But I think Cordell Patterson's a great one because that's the issue with me for McCall Hardman and, and why he, the Dexter McCluster one also isn't that insane because it feels like you can't get McCall Hardman the ball when he's past the line of scrimmage. Yeah. You can throw it to him behind the line of scrimmage. You can hand it off to him. You can have him back there with a punt and he'll let it bounce in front of him now because he has no confidence left unless it takes a nice bounce and then I can grab it and run it. But yeah, that's, I, that's why I think all these comps are good because you hope he's Brandon Cooks. But so far, you know, he's proven like, hey, I can only get the ball in certain ways. Again, though, his offensive numbers are better than Patterson without looking it up and Dexter McCluster yeah. because I have looked that one up. But those guys also didn't have Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. So it's one more factor you have to play into it is does the quarterback make the receiver? Does the receiver make the quarterback? We know that both things can be true being with backup quarterbacks for a very long time. Another one, Darius Hayward Bay. Ooh, that's a good one. Good comparison. <laughs> I think for me, if if they would be, if they did move Hardman, I think that to me would signal a huge development on Brett Veach's side of things for his career, uh, his development as a general manager, I'll say, I should say, because we've seen him be willing to go out and get other teams cast offs. The guys who didn't really develop into the, the top guys and bring in and you'll give out like a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick or whatever the case might be. There's anything fourth and down. He seems pretty willing to move on from to go get somebody he thinks that had a good pedigree coming in, but didn't end up maybe working out with their first team. If he is, and, and we've seen him be willing to trade the previous regimes players, to go get somebody, see the uh, Eric Murray. Yes. Eric Murray for Emmanuel Ogba trade where Emmanuel Ogba played really good football for you before he got hurt and has since gone on to be really solid this year. For me, if he's now willing to move one of the guys he drafted to move up and go get somebody he thinks can help the team in a better way. I think that to me makes me really comfortable with Brett Veach as general manager. Because so far he's, if you believe all the reports, he's able to identify a quarterback. He is willing to move up in the draft, go get his guy and identify talent. His drafts have consistently improved each year that he has, has been the guy to this point his ability to manage the cap and bring in still bring in big names has been impressive. So if he is now willing to say, look, it's not working, let's cut bait while this guy still has value and bring in some, something that might still be able to help our team. I think it's the last piece of the puzzle you're looking for a general manager. And my apologies to Brandon cooks, you know, he actually could put together some a thousand yard seasons with around eight ish touchdowns. Whereas McCole Hardman sitting around 500 yards a season 
uh, with about four touchdowns. So basically what I'm trying to say is McCole Hardman is more Sammy Watkins than Brandon Cooks. But uh, that's why I asked the question, because I don't think it's that insane for all the reasons you just brought up. Brett Beach is not afraid to trade players, even for other players. So if it was somebody that fit the scheme better, maybe a defensive player, go for it. And Brett Beach is also not afraid to trade up in drafts. So that's why I think I'm thinking about those things. It's just like, that doesn't seem that crazy to me. It's a guy that they're, you know, in two years are going to have to decide whether or not they're going to resign. I'm just not sure they will. And I think they have the foresight to do things like that. Yeah. And foresight is what you would need in this situation, just because of he's coming into the years where you're going to start thinking about extensions. And I don't think any of us think that he's that guy. So if they're able to identify him as a guy to move on from, absolutely. I think it would make sense to, to move him, even if it was, like you said, Sam, for, for just fourth. Kind of encompassing everything that we just talked about with the biggest offseason needs, you know, being able to maybe move up in the draft, you're able to move on from your own guys. How would you prioritize going about to fill the needs that you just talked about? Would you look at the draft to try and maybe find the next left tackle for the next 10 years? Or would you want to go find a veteran that you know is going to be solid and there maybe only for you know three to four at most, if you're lucky, but you know, for those three years, they're going to, they're going to be solid at that position. Just maybe never be the elite level guy as you think. Just for example, now, where would you guys look to fill slots based on the needs that you guys said are, are the top spots? Um, Sam, we'll come back to you. So without a, a complete list of, of free agent offensive linemen in front of me for this year. That's a position that I think you have to, you, you really do kind of have to build through the draft a lot of the times. The reason I say that is because when you rely on, on going out and getting the, the guys that other teams have cut or let go, you end up with Wisniewski and Ryder and Wiley and all these guys that we relied on this year teams very rarely let go of of keystone offensive linemen that's that's one of the positions that I don't think it's talked a lot about just because again it is it's the offensive line and no one really thinks about them but they're probably I would say one of the most held on to positions where you very rarely see a, a keystone offensive lineman moving teams I think the last one we really saw was Alec Mack going from Cleveland to to the Falcons was the biggest one I, I can remember so through the draft is a big one. If you can somehow manage to get get some interior guys to to come in to to perform well, that'd be great. But it, it's it's hard to see. I mean, we got Mitchell Schwartz, which which was a a huge one. The likelihood of being able to get another one of those is is very rare. So I think as far as the the offensive line, that I for me that's got to be our focus um, in the draft this year. Is is not only getting some quality guys within the top ranks, but some depth within the bottom where, where even if it's a, a Usir Durant, where again, we, I wasn't super, obviously not really impressed with him at all. He's at least another body that if, if people keep going down, like we saw this year, we have, we at least know we've got some people. And because of that, for me, that's where, what I think the, the Bucks did well this year. Um, when we talk about how they built their team is they really did do a lot of the mercenary contracts. This, the Adamican Sues, the, the JPPs, the Antonio Browns, these shorter contracts that allowed them to bring high quality guys in that they know it's not going to kill them later on down the road. 
So for me, I'm not I'm not opposed to us moving because we know we've got Patrick Mahomes, we've got Tyree Kill, Kelsey, Chris Jones, and unfortunately Frank Clark tied up for, for a good amount of time. The mercenary contracts is, is what I see a lot of these exterior positions moving to. And for us, for wide receiver, I think that's, for me, where we're going with that. Um, that cornerback and wide receiver, I'd, I'd be perfectly fine getting those two-year guys that, that contribute well, but we don't expect them to be the, the solution the entire for 10 years, um, which obviously is a crazy long time. But um, so I, I, I think, for me, offensive line is built through the draft, and the rest of the team is, if we can swing the cap, which the cap is going to be weird this year, it's, it's getting those small two-year contracts with guys that are looking to prove it and then move on um, and let them move on after they're gone, not not trying to keep guys around for long periods. Jay, what about you? For the things that you think are the big needs, how would you go about trying to fill those things? Yeah, just to keep it broad, because I think next week we're going to look more into specific guys that might be out there because we'll also kind of have better rumors around who will get re-signed and things. But, yeah, just in general – I mentioned on offensive tackle. I, I think you do want to go get a one or two year deal because there are some pretty good veterans out there. I think the bigger risk is not so much the quality of play for the guys that are out there, but it's their health. And that's exactly the scary thing about the current offensive tackles for the Kansas city chiefs. There are some big name offensive tackles out there that I, I do think will make it to free agency that the chiefs could get a one or two year deal on, I think, and not have to, you know, spend a boatload on because there isn't the Mitch Schwartz like Sam said that was a steal of a deal the the Chiefs kind of quietly put that one together for what that dude did for them over his time sorry I'm talking about Mitch Schwartz like he's already retired that's not official at all and then as far as corner I think I'd like to see one free agent corner which I think could be a Breland's usually when you get those familiar guys they'll keep coming back on cheaper deals potentially and then one in the draft just for depth. And then as far as the number two receiver, I think we've already mentioned, you know, see if you can go get a free agent receiver that is going to sign the NFL veteran minimum and maybe draft one receiver. And then pass rusher, that's, I still think, where they've got to invest in the first round. I don't know who the guy is this year, but I think that has got to be, you've got to be looking long-term and say, that's the guy we need to get cheap because as we know, unfortunately pass rushers are not cheap they are not cheap at all unless you just go sign a bunch of veterans and roll the dice on them so there again there's there's different ways to go about it but i think the thing i keep basically saying is they need to be young and cheap they need to have guys in the draft and they need to have cheap free agents because they're already you know in a bad salary cap position where they're 18 million over the cap going into the offseason so, Jacob, what you're trying to say is the Chiefs' plan needs to be to draft an SEC defensive lineman in the first round. Is that is that what you're telling me? Because because I seems was like... sec- I was seconds from it, and I did nearly say it earlier. What I'm trying to say is, if Glenn Dorsey can just play in the four-three front, it can work. So, hopefully, Glenn Glenn Dorsey, if you're out there, I will sign you to the Kansas City Chiefs. I have no power over that but I will sign you. Oh, my God. Can you imagine, though, if they draft another SEC defensive lineman? I would just die crying laughing. I'm with you guys. I think that the the draft needs to be the priority for the studs. Uh, I almost had 
said that I would love to see them go sign like a veteran linebacker, but that's how you got Anthony Hitchens. And I just don't want to do that again. It happens every year. You end up with a guy that you have to overpay for because everyone else in the league is also vying for that player's services. I would like to prioritize at least your tackle positions in the draft. Find, find your, your Patrick Mahomes protectors in the draft. If you can go find me a couple of guards um, like an assembly who I thought played really well before both of his ACLs exploded, I would be on board with that. Or, or even a, a, you know, a better version of Kilgore to play center and, and move Ryder finally out of that starting role. I think you could probably find interior offensive linemen and free agency on those mercenary contracts that you mentioned, Sam, you know, one to two year deals that are effective players. It's the tackles and that to me are the ones that are so much harder to find. And if they're, if they're any good, you're probably not going to get them on a reasonable contract in free agency. And the last guy the Chiefs signed before Mitchell Schwartz to play right tackle was Eric Winston on a long-term deal. And that did not work out. For me, the tackle's got to be the draft priority. If you can find Merc contracts, mercenary contracts for your linebacker help, great. Uh, I'll take it. That's fine. I just don't know that I want any more long-term deals on guys who are, are Anthony Hitchens, if that makes sense. Don't overpay those guys. You know, it, it didn't work out, but if you're going to overpay someone, you overpay somebody like a Frank Clark. And, and granted, it's not working to the level that we want, but that, that move at the time, that's the one that makes more sense. I, I would like to see them find a Devin White in the draft. They're never, they're not going to find a guy like that and pick second or third in your second or third round picks, but we'll see. I, I, I would, I would prioritize as many of your big needs as you could possibly find in the draft and then fill in mercenary contracts with the holes that remain real quickly. This is not going to be a very long discussion here is you, know, you can get a little bit of help back from guys who opted out this year. You do have the potential to get back Damian Williams, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, and Lucas Niang. Those are three guys that could pick, play key contributing roles on the team. If they do come back, Lucas Niang, you expect to come back. Damian Williams and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, maybe not. Who knows? I'll give my opinion here real quick just to start things off. I think if you can get Laurent Duvernay-Tardif back, he makes the most immediate impact. He would have the most noticeable and immediate impact as a veteran guy who's not old yet and knows the system and has had a year of at least the football physical stress. Who knows what emotional and physical stress he's put his body through being an amazing doctor in Canada. We'll see what happens with that. And he at least has not had the football stress. So he could be the most immediate impact. I think you're hoping that... Luke Niang can have the most long-term impact on your team if he does decide to come back at a tackle role. But I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know that. So I'll, I'll leave it to you guys. Um, Jacob, we'll come to you here first. Who do you think would come back? And do you think they can make an immediate impact? Yeah, I think all three guys come back, which the one of the three that surprised me for being so eager to come back is LDT. I thought that was a guy that was just going to go into the medical field and say bye-bye to football just because that seemed to be his passion. Yeah, you're right, Sean. You know, 
we complained about LDT's play at points last year. I'm sorry, LDT. It can get worse. It can always get worse in the words of Buddy Bell. And if you had the prop bet on that, and after an hour into the show would be our first cross-reference into another sport, congrats, you can cash in. As, as soon, of course, as Fox pays us the money that now they owe us as well. Damian Williams, I think, allows you to not think about running back in the offseason. He gets his contract for the one more year. You have Clyde Boutrelaire, Damian Williams, and then Daryl Williams. I assume they'll bring back on a very small deal. If he doesn't accept a small deal or somebody else wants him, they'll go find another Daryl Williams. And in fact, that actually is one of the free agents is Daryl Williams, the offensive tackle. That way they had three Daryl Williams on the team. But the last one, Niang, I think you're hoping that Niang can come in and fill in one of the tackle spots for either the retired, potentially, Mitch Schwartz or the Achilles injured Eric Fisher. And then just hope that at the end of the year, you have very good depth with him back. But yeah, that that's where I would say the outlook on those three guys is at and their sort of impact is I think Niang is the one you're hoping the most for with the most unknown. And Sam Bransholm, who do you think comes back? And do you think that they, who out of the guys you think do, can they make an immediate impact and fill some of these holes we just talked about? Out of the three, the only one that makes the immediate impact to me is LDT, just because, I mean, as long as, again, he can come back um, in football shape, because we know that that's not an easy thing to keep especially with what he's dealt with this past year. Um, that is one of those sidebar for a second. One of the storylines that I'm glad they, when they, if you watch the NFL honors the day before the Super Bowl, I'm glad they did touch on it because it, it, it's hard for people to understand that that guy went from a position where he was making millions of dollars to go work as a doctor. And though obviously I'm sure he still was not, hurting for money he went to go risk his own life dealing with patients with COVID-19 so I mean hats off to to him because that's just one of those decisions that's one of those choices that I don't think many people would make going from play to give up playing professional football to go risk his own life treating patients with COVID-19 so I mean and for for Pete's sake Sam let the guy put MD on his jersey make a positive model for people out there Please. <laughs> that, that's it, it just I, I he is a I mean, you talk about ridiculous athlete and then you think he's also a medical doctor. So he's incredibly smart. So I think he's the one that makes the immediate impact. I think that decision is going to be what what happens with COVID-19 over these next couple of months to be rea- in reality, because I, I though I think he is still dedicated to the Chiefs. I think he does love football. I think he he probably wants to come back and play. It, it, I think he understood that they're kind of, as we started the podcast, there are bigger things in the world than football. And I think unless, it, if, if something improves, we will see him back, which he will obviously be a, though, like you said, Jacob, we have complained about his play in the past. I would have given anything to have him on that line this year, I think. Um, Niang, I'd Niang and the other and Williams are bonus. I mean, I don't think you see with our running back situation, it's kind of the, all right, after Clyde, who's filling in. If you got one more Williams to go back, they're great. And we'll see what happen, happens. Um, and then um, Niang, I'm really excited about. He's, he's again, a talent that 
is an unknown at this point, but I think he could be a big player down the road. So all three have a place. Um, LDT, I think, has the most immediate impact. and But unfortunately, he's the one that I think is the most up in the air with the situation he's dealing with, because obviously he has priorities in, in, in other areas. But they all, I think they all could could play a role next year, and I'm happy to have all three of them back if, if they do come back, I think. It was a ball of a season. It didn't finish the way we wanted to, but good Lord, guys, we got to watch a championship run during one of the worst years that any of us have experienced, at least in, in our lifetimes. And the Chiefs gave us a lot of joy throughout this season. So we're not done. We've got a whole off season of, of football and Chiefs talk to go through. So we really appreciate you guys sticking with us here tonight. Make sure you tune in again next week. Uh, because we got a whole lot of off-season football to talk about. For those off-season guys, make sure you are following um, us on all our social media platforms, because that's when you're going to know when we when we're releasing podcasts. Because it probably will be a little sporadic. Yes, yes, we will do our best to keep it consistent, but there's going to be a lot of stuff we want to cover. So just stay tuned, stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.